We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual boarded in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information about serious illness, the end of life process, hospice and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You only die once, and we believe it can and should be a good death. Good morning, it's Dr. Bone. And I'm Dr. Tartaglia. We're here today to talk about deprescribing. Deprescribing is when uh, patients and physicians review their medications to try to determine, are we taking more than we should? Are we taking enough? It's a good habit to review all the meds as it encourages physicians to complete a med medication reconciliation at visits. You should be doing this for all patients that are on five or more medications. However, especially in the geriatric or palliative uh, population. Any frail patient that's on a lot of medications, those medications could get to where they're interacting with each other. They might have been tolerated at one point in time and they're no longer being well tolerated. Maybe the patient doesn't need so much medication anymore. Possibly the patient needs more medications. And we're not just talking about medications to treat an illness, but we're also talking about supplements and vitamins, stool softeners, all of those count. Yeah, it ensures that we are using uh, the medication safely and effectively. Mm -hmm. It provides an opportunity for the patient and the family to review all those medications with their with their physician. Mm -hmm. I think it also promotes a better um, improved communication between the patient and the family and the healthcare team creates a collaboration. Because mm -hmm. uh, paternalistic practice really has changed to collaborative practice. We want to involve the patient in their own care. We want to educate them about their medications, about their illnesses, so that they can make those important decisions about what's important to them. Mm -hmm. The thing that you have to realize is deprescribing takes a lot of time and you have to have a lot of knowledge and skill set. Um, for physicians, uh, we are on a time crunch with our patients, mm -hmm. but it's very important for us to maybe review the medications before we go into the patient's room, already try to come up with a plan of action of uh, side effects and what, what could be causing harm to the patient. Depending on what the setting is, it's really nice in an office setting if the nurse or the intake personnel will get that list corrected. So we always encourage patients to either bring an accurate list or in some cases, when I was in private practice, I always asked patients to please just put all of their medication bottles and bring them in, in, you know, I used to say a Walmart bag, but just bring them all <laughs> in, in at one, you know, container so that we can go through each of those. I also would encourage patients to, you know, bring me a list of the things that you want to talk about today. And I know sometimes patients would bring in a really lengthy list and they might have quite a few medications and I would look at the list and I might pick out two or three things I would thought I think out of their list are important. And then I would tell them, you pick out two or three things. We'll get through the most important ones first for you and for me. And then we can go further if we need to. Right. And the goal of the medication reconciliation is to reduce the overall burden. And that's what Dr. Bone's talking about. A lot of times, um, people that are on lots of medications, they're just 
you know, it affects their appetite. It affects their activities of daily living because it's a big burden every morning to be taking out those medications, trying to figure out what to take. Sometimes they get mixed up in different pill boxes. And there's a lot of side effects that can occur if we're not taking the medications at the right time of day. Some patients will set up a pill planner mm -hmm. and it might have a morning, noon, afternoon, evening time frame for those medications to be taken. And if they're on multiple medications, it's easier if they have a pill planner because they have those medications already set up for the week. And sometimes medications are multiple times a day and sometimes they're only once or twice a week. And that's really important for that to be done accurately. Yeah, and I think the, with the pill planner, it's really important to have a calendar near the patient because a lot of times if there's um, cognitive impairment, that can get confusing on what day of the week it is. So it's really important to just have that one week out for the, per, for the patient right. and then maybe have a calendar there so they can check off, okay, I've done Tuesday, this is Tuesday on the week. Mm -hmm. And a pill planner is also nice because once it's set up for the week and maybe they've got a family member or a neighbor or maybe they've got a home health or a hospice nurse that's coming in and helping them set that pill planner up, the accuracy can be checked in the pill planner. And then when you know that that little cup for that little portion of the day is empty, you know that you took those meds. I know it happens even for me sometimes. I'll think, did I did I take my, my medicine this morning? And the only way I know, rather than going back to the bottle, is I put mine in a, in a pill planner because I'm trying to remember, you know, the days do begin to run together. And if somebody's got a little bit of, you know, uh, cognitive impairment or if they're a very busy person mm -hmm. trying to take care of another loved one or they've got things happening in the home, they can forget if they took that medication or not. So it's ha handy to have that. Right. And when we're doing um, medication reconciliation and uh, withdrawing medication, i.e. deprescribing, we do it on an individual basis. We look at patients, like for example, if patients are falling Okay, we will review the med list and make sure that we're removing anything that may be causing falling or just try to talk to the patient. When are you taking that medication that may be promoting falling? And we try to uh, take that medication away. For some patients with dementia, we really have to be uh, careful of the burden of medications. There's, you know, like we were saying, if they don't have a pillbox, we need to have them get a pillbox, have someone without dementia being pour pouring out the pills to make sure that they're poured out right. accurately, right. and try to reduce the most amount of medications that we can safely mm -hmm. so they do not have a pill burden. Um, and it will be less complicated for them, and then they could still feel in control of their health care. And that's where it's really important to talk with the patient, the family, uh, the caregiver, you know, how the patient behaves, acts, feels at different times of the day. Is it interrupting sleep? Are they taking a medication that makes them drowsy? Are they taking a medication that upsets their stomach? Are they not getting a medication and they need something for upset stomach or they need something for their bowels? So medications, even though sometimes you get a pill from a physician and say, you'll have to take this forever, that's not exactly true. It's dynamic, and we need to be reviewing those medications on an ongoing basis to look at are we still getting good benefit from these medications. Yeah, and I think that people, patients think that that's true, that they have to take them forever because they were prescribed by a physician. However, we're, we're trying to promote collaboration and um, remove the paternalistic instinct mm -hmm. of uh, being a physician superior to the patient. We want to have a collaborative relationship where we're equal. I, I used to explain it to patients that, you know, the, the, 
the previous model, whether it was paternalistic, is me, doctor, you, patient, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You don't need to know what it is. I'm going to tell you how to take it. You take it the way I tell you to take it. And so patients, there was a lot of mystery and uh, patients didn't have a lot of control. And we really believe that patients need to take control of their health and physicians need to take back control of, of health care. Health has gotten to be big business mm -hmm. and we need that patient-physician relationship to be in the forefront. Yeah, and if you educate your patients on what their medications are doing and why you need to take them, then they're more apt to take them if they understand why they need the medications. They have that buy-in. Mm -hmm. And then they can make a decision as to, I am getting good from this medication, I know what it's for, and I I might get a little side effect, but I, I understand the risk and the benefit associated with this medication. And at this point, from a patient standpoint, I feel like it's still a good mm -hmm. medicine for me to be taking. Or they can tell you, you know, I'm taking so many medications, I don't even want to eat right now because I'm full of pills. Mm -hmm. That's important information for us to have. Exactly. Um, you know, one of the main things we do when we're looking at reducing medications is we, we try to look at the ones that could potentially cause harm to the patient. Fall is a big harm to a patient. Yeah. Um, falls, even if they don't cause a major injury, they may cause a setback in your activities of daily living, being able to care for yourself, which may cause you to weaken and further weaken in your chronic illness. Um, a lot of medications that cause falls in the elderly population are like benzodiazepines. They're medications that are used for anxiety. Um, antipsychotic medications are medications that are used for behavioral disturbances um, with dementia patients. Antidepressants, a lot of patients take antidepressants. Um, we're under a lot of stress in our world today, so a lot of people are taking um, SSRIs, which is the new, newest form of antidepressants. And, uh, you know, there's other medications that are sedatives that we use for sleeping. Mm -hmm. So each medication has its definite benefits, depending on what the patient's symptoms are that we're trying to manage, but they also have potential side effects. Mm -hmm. And so th that information is intricate and we need to tease that out during our evaluation with that patient. If their anxiety or their restlessness or their sense of shortness of breath is so debilitating that their quality of life is limited, then a benzodiazepine may be warranted. And there are some benzodiazepines that are safer than others. Some have a very short duration of action, but they have a high quick peak. So that risk of fall is for a short period of time because of that high quick peak. And so when they have that high quick peak, it mm -hmm. may cause other effects where you have that need, that urge for that medication. Where others maybe have a longer, slower peak, but it may last maybe, you know, eight hours or 12 hours. And so depending on what the desired effect and the risk of fall and side effect are, that's what helps guide that physician as to which one of those is going to be the most appropriate for them. The same thing with the antipsychotics. There right. are multiple antipsychotics, and what is appropriate now may not be the same medication that was needed a year or two years ago, and it may not be the same medication or dose that's needed in a year or two from now. Because patients' journey through their health care is not static. Mm -mm. Things change, and so we may need to change those medications to help manage those symptoms so the patient feels more functional. Right, and even with antidepressants, oftentimes you're put on it for an acute event that may have resolved, like say you had a death of your spouse. Um, you may be put on a certain antidepressant. 
there, there's a lot of antidepressants that have multi, um, they're used for multiple things, mm -hmm. for multiple mechanisms of action. So for example, uh, there are some antidepressants that help stimulate appetite, increase mm -hmm. energy. So these kind of um, would be given more to the frail patient that is losing weight, mm -hmm. not awake most of the day. Though That would be a type of medication that you would utilize, not something that would be more of a downer. Um, that would uh, cause them to lose more weight because that is also some of the SSRI. So you have to look at the patient and treat them as an individual. We want to try to match side effects because every medication has a side effect with some of the other symptoms that the patient may be having. So certainly if you've got a patient who comes in and they have depression, for instance, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many medications to choose from. Well, is this an anxious, depressed person? I can't sleep, I can't rest. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're drumming their fingers, they're, they're bouncing their leg, I, I can't focus on things. So there may be a, a hypervigilant type of depressed person. Or you've got somebody that's maybe motor retarded. I don't have any energy. I can't get up out of bed. I can't manage to do, you know, the things I know. I know I want to brush my teeth. I want to comb my hair. I need to do my laundry. And I can't hardly, you know, get up to get my own breakfast because I'm just so lack of interest in things. I don't have the energy I need. So maybe we want something that's going to be more uplifting. Maybe the person's depression is affecting their appetite. Maybe it's affecting their sleep-wake cycle. So mm -hmm. we try to match potential side effects with the antidepressant that has some of those side effects. Yeah, and it's important when we're deprescribing to look at how to improve and preserve your cognitive function. Because again, falls is, is part of your um, ADL care, meaning part of your functional status. And then to preserve the cognitive function, you're able to think clearer. And this also preserves um, your illness progression um, with your, and, and your ability to do things on your own. So it's really important for us to, again, look at the same type of class of medications. So I won't bother repeating at all, but look at how they can improve, improve your overall function. Because we want the patient to remain as active and as functional, as healthy as we possibly mm -hmm. can. And we're all about aging in place. We want the patient to be able to remain in their home, whatever that home setting is. Because when patients can no longer remain in their home, that implies that we have had a decline to reach a certain point. And then when a move occurs, we know there's going to be a sudden downturn to find a new plateau to find a new mm -hmm. new baseline. And so we really don't want to move those patients any sooner than we absolutely have to. And that's why monitoring these medications is so very important and crucial. Yeah, and you know, it does reduce the risk of hospitalizations in the vulnerable po population and also reduces the risk of death. Um, so it's- By about a third in each yeah, one. Yeah, so it's significant. So it's really important. When we ask like, who should we focus on uh, deprescribing. Well, obviously patients that are polypharmacy. Now, by definition, it says five medications, but everybody these days are on five and, and I think in the nursing home, they I think it's nine, but they're, they're counting on stool softeners and vitamins. But, you know, if you've got somebody that's got several medical illnesses. Yes. I mean, like if they've got a lung problem, they may be on inhalers. If they've got a sugar problem, they may, may need a, a, a medication for diabetes. If they've got hypertension, they may need one or two mm -hmm. antihypertensives. And that's just for their chronic illnesses without right. looking at anything. It's easy to get to five or nine medications pretty quickly. 
Yeah. And like patients that, you know, like Dr. Bone just said, they have multiple comorbidities. So how are their kidneys functioning? Because a lot of our medications are metabolized through the kidneys. And if you already have renal impairment, their, their metabolism is going to be different from each patient, from patient to patient. The big, big thing that you need to look at is most patients have multiple prescribers these days. You know, the hospitalizations have changed. There's no longer the family doc going into the hospital at the end of their night after finishing seeing patients six, seven o'clock at night to round at the hospital or going there at lunch to grab lunch and go see your patients. Now there's hospitalists that are seeing your, um, your patients. The hospitalist team does not know the patient from the home setting. The patient that's coming in is sick, so they're not able to sometimes give the proper medication list. So there's a lot of medications that can be added during a hospitalization, which can create uh, complications when you go home. Many patients don't carry a list with them. Mm -hmm. So if something were to happen, maybe you went to a relative's home, maybe you had a flat tire and you got overheated, but for some reason you wind up in the hospital and it's unplanned, typically it is unplanned, you don't have that accurate list, so nobody's really sure. So there's problem number one. And another problem or issue is you may be on one brand of medication or one type of sugar medicine or blood pressure medication or, or medication for, for acid reflux, and you get to the hospital and they say, that's not on our formulary. And what that means is we're going to give you something similar, but it's not what you've been taking. So then when you go home, that hospitalist gave you a bunch of prescriptions and sent them to your pharmacy, and you were taking a medication for your blood pressure at home that you still have maybe half a bottle or maybe a full bottle left, and they sent you home with one that was similar but not the same, you get home and you're looking at those names and you're like, do I take both of these? Mm -hmm. I mean, what do I do with these? They, they sent me, I've got, I had five meds at home and I came home with five meds, but none of them have the same name. Are they the same medications? Did I go from five meds to now I'm taking 10 or some of these duplicated? So it's really important to bring those bottles in, to have that exactly. list of those medications and put a list in you know, in your wallet, on your phone, in, you know, in your purse so that you've got that list with you. Right. And it's really important to capture the transitional care visits. But on, um, honestly, uh, sometimes that doesn't happen in um, 72 hours or 48 hours from the discharge. That's ideally what we'd like. But if the patients discharge over the weekend, you know, they might not call their primary care until Monday. They not, it may not be seen till Thursday. So it's really, really important to be proactive, have your list um, in your pocket, uh, in your purse, in your wallet, um, because that will really help you, uh, God forbid, if you have to go to the hospital. Another topic I want to bring up is medication non-adherence, mm -hmm. what that means. And coupled with that is something called enforced compliance. Would you talk about non-adherence for a moment? Well, medication non-adherence is when a patient uh, does not follow, um, is not taking the prescription as prescribed. So, um, so basically, it, it can be for several reasons. Most of the time, it's because it can be cost. It could be cost prohibitive. I mean, a lot of times we forget our patients are on a fixed income. They have multiple illnesses. They're unable to work. Medications are expensive. So it's really important to. Um, review that with the patient uh, costs and then make sure that they're going to be able to fill it. Other times it could be side effects that they decide to not adhere to medication um, uh, and and sometimes it's just they, they don't understand the importance of taking the medication. So non, excuse me, non-adherence and, and compliance 
uh, with those medications is really important for us to know. And it's not my medicine. It's not like I baked you a pie and you didn't like it and now I got my feelings hurt. It's a relationship you need to have that's open with your, your physician so they know you don't like that medicine or it's causing a side effect. Now, enforced compliance is where a patient is either at the hospital or at home, but they're taking those medications, and then they, they get to a place where they're not taking them as they're prescribed, and then they have to go to another care level. So they go from home to a nursing home to a hospital, and we see what's written on the bottle or what's written on their list, and we give it that way. We make them take it that way, and we enforce the compliance and now they start having side effects. So as a sidebar, mm -hmm. I, I was taking care of a little patient, and I can't say she was my patient. I was there in a capacity just as a, a medical director for a hospice agency, and I was doing a recertification exam. And so while I'm sitting visiting with her, the nurse comes in with a little cup of pills and hands her that cup. She dumps it in her hand. She takes the pills. The nurse hands her the cup of water, and she drinks the water. When the nurse leaves, the little lady opened her hand and all of those pills are still in her palm. Now she's got her little walker in front of her and it's got a, like a little cloth basket hanging on it. And she picks out the big one, which I was pretty sure was her potassium. She goes, I don't take this one. It's hard to make it go down and it hurts my stomach. And potassium can upset some people's mm -hmm. stomach. So she puts it in her little bag. She picked up another white pill. And this one I was pretty sure was her Lasix because she goes, this is the water pill and it makes me wet on myself. I don't take it unless my ankles are swollen. So she put that in her little basket. She picked up another one and I can only guess that was a multivitamin because she said this one is really big and it gives me bad breath and mm -hmm. bad burps. And so she put that one in her basket. She said this one, and she picked up a real tiny one, and I'm only guessing that's her ditch because of the size of it. She said, I think this one is for my heart, which is probably digoxin. Uh -huh. And she goes, if I take it very often, it makes me nauseated. And right. that's a key tip-off that somebody's toxic on their digoxin is mm -hmm. they can get nauseated. So she put, in the, put that one in there. And then she said, these others I'll take. They don't seem like they bother me as much. So she took them and mm -hmm. finished her cup of water. And then she told me, she said, I have to remember to put those in the toilet because if they find those in there, they'll know I'm not taking them and they'll watch me close and make sure I take them and then they'll make me sick. Wow. She knew the side effects. She didn't know the names of her medicine, but she knew what each one of them was supposed to do or, or you know, what organ system it was supposed to do. And she knew the side effects, but she felt like I can't tell them that because they're going to make me take them that way. And that's enforced compliance. And it's not what we should be doing. We need to listen to the patient about how those medications make them feel. With her aging process, this lady was over 90, mm -hmm. she's not metabolizing and clearing many of those medications the way she needs to. Her heart doesn't function well, her kidneys don't function well, she may not need as much medicine as she used to need. So, you know, talking to her about how she's taking them, the side effects, the compliance, and not in making her, not enforcing that mm -hmm. compliance would have alleviated a lot of that. Now, she swore me to secrecy, and I said, I'm just here as the hospice <laughs> doctor. I'm not the medication police. So I said, I don't know anything. <laughs> funny. Well, oftentimes we also have to de-prescribe when patients have a limited life expectancy. They could be older in age or they could have advanced uh, frailty or dementia. And I have a story that goes along with that because um, as a hospice physician, uh, for most of my career, I came out of my um, 
family practice residency and my very first patient that came to the hospice unit was from one of my uh, dear friends and uh, colleague and she you know called to let me know that this patient was uh, actively in the dying stages and will be coming over to the hospice unit and it was one of my very first patients and I kind of drew um, the small um, straw for the physicians because uh, no one else wanted to take care of this demanding family and I looked like a hero um, 10 days later because I had stopped all the medications because the patient was no longer swallowing mm -hmm. she became very lethargic and weak so I just stopped all medications and just did comfort meds as needed and within seven days because she had very low renal function she was 93 years old she woke up and went back to her baseline um, and slowly, you know, we had to put back on her heart pill mm -hmm. and her water pill. And then she went on um, to live uh, three years with congestive wow. heart failure on a hospice service. Never went back to the hospital because, and that was her wish. Her dying wish was never to go back to the hospital to die at home. And to to the family, I look like a hero. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was just doing, you know. The deprescribing. The deprescribing, the reviewing of the medication seeing that the patient no longer needed it, and then just adding it in a stepwise approach. So an elderly patient does not necessarily equate to a frail patient, mm -hmm. does not necessarily equate to a demented patient, and is not the same as somebody who's, you know, debilitated or at the end of life. Those are not, those are separate, you know, patient populations. Certainly it could be the same patient, but not every frail patient is older. Mm -hmm. Not every demented patient is frail. Right. So we really need to look at all of those factors. It's a lot to try to, to, to balance. It's a lot for us to try to process. And that's where we need to talk with that patient. We need to spend time with that patient and with mm -hmm. that family. And when in a rushed environment, you're not going to be able to get that. Mm -mm. So there's some high-risk medications. We kind of already went over them, but we can just uh, briefly describe to you some of our high-risk medications, like our sedatives. They're the hypnotic medications, and we already kind of went over why we want to get rid of those, because they will make you sleepy. They'll increase falls. Um, they may change behavior in uh, seniors or even in people that have renal impairment, which means uh, decreased kidney function. Then there's anticholinergic medications, and you might think of those as medications that maybe dry a person's mouth out. You might get dry eyes with it. It might cause constipation, and they might be taking that for dizziness. Right. They might be taking some of those for upset stomach, and without realizing it, they're taking it for one thing, and it's causing multiple other side effects. And some disease processes, like Parkinson's, mm -hmm. those anticholinergics can actually make those medical conditions worsen while you're taking it. And then when you stop those medications or you decrease them, the, the illness gets better mm -hmm. and maybe some of those side effects. So you've got, you know, the benefit of the medication and then you got the side effect of the medication and that's where the patient has to tell us it's still doing me good. Yes, I get a side right. effect. And, you know, years ago in the paternalistic practice, patients would say, oh, you know, I don't like taking that medication because it gives me this side effect. And the doctor would say, good, keep taking it. That's how you know it's working. <sighs> well, you know, <laughs> I just don't know that that's the best thing. It's not what I want you to take. It's what I think is bet in your best interest right. that agrees with you. 
Chronic um, NSAIDs like, uh, you know, ibuprofen, Aleve, people take that for pain relief, right? But arthritis they, medicine. Yeah, arthritis medications. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful with those because what is a patient's kidney function? And then, and then also it causes risk. You know, it could cause a GI bleed and cause more harm that way. So you have to add another medication to counteract um, the first medication and causes upset stomach. I mean, there's so many uh, so many side effects that can be caused just by taking ibuprofen or medications for arthritis on a daily basis or routine basis. And you may think, well, the arthritis medicine, if I take it on a full stomach with mm -hmm. a meal, it's going to keep it from you know sitting in one spot, and so I'm not going to have that bleed. Well, it it's a prostaglandin inhibitor, and so on the on the chemical level, if it's inhibiting those prostaglandins, your okay. risk of bleeding is it's, increasing. Yeah. So if you're bleeding, it's because it's working. So that it's not it's, it's not, not necessarily a good thing. No. No. And the, the the more frail a person is, or if they're older, not necessarily the same thing again, then they're at risk for bleed. Exactly. Um, PPIs or proton pump inhibitors, they were really big, you know, um, years ago we got a lot of merchandise from pharmaceutical companies about starting everybody on PPIs. There's a lot of commercials for them. There's still a lot of commercials. A lot of them now are over the counter. So again, you make sure that you're always looking at all medications like Dr. Bone said earlier in our video. But you have to make sure that does the patient really need to stay on the PPI? Because now over the years there's been a lot of study and research that they can be harmful. So does the patient have a history of Barrett's esophagus? Are they on chronic NSAIDs, which we just discussed, the anti-inflammatory medications where they would need that to protect their stomach? Do they have a history of bleeding, like an ulcer? Are they on chronic steroids? Like mm -hmm. we, we haven't talked much about the COPD, the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease patients. So are they taking steroids every day where they would need that? And then patients that are on chronic uh, medications for bleeding, the chronic anticoagulation patients. And maybe they've got atrial fibrillation or they've had a stroke or they've got peripheral vascular disease. Mm -hmm. and, and the physicians feel like risk-benefit, they really need to be on something to make their blood a little thinner and a little bit more slippery so it's more likely to be able to get through those places without causing a stroke or a heart attack. So you imagine just with that one class of medication, the uses are so um, vast. There's so many different reasons as to why they would be on them, and there's side effects to those illnesses that play a role with the PPI. And the big thing is, is you know, a, a proton pump inhibitor changes the flora of your body, of your GI tract, so it could cause you an increased risk of C. diff, which is mm -hmm. a very hard uh, infection to treat. Mm -hmm. um, it can cause uh, hip fractures, mm -hmm. um, and then, and because it because it plays a, a a part in changing your flora, it also impairs the absorption of different vitamins, especially B12. So you think, I'm taking that for my stomach, it's just a good medication for me, but you don't realize in the background that may it be accelerating bone loss mm -hmm. and putting you at risk for fractures. It may be causing you to be at risk for a colon infection. There's bacteria in your colon and there's good and back, bad bacteria in there all the time, and we don't want to make the bad bacteria outgrow the good. We want to keep them in balance. And then if the medication is causing you to not absorb certain nutrients, then you're going to get a vitamin deficiency. Yeah. So, yeah, that may be helping something, but it may have risks that you didn't even realize. Another class of medications is our glucose-lowering medications. Um, these are for mostly diabetic patients, people that have renal impairment, that their kidneys are not functioning. They, they could have a history of also low blood sugar. 
um, and multiple chronic conditions, including dementia, can play a role. So basically what we're trying to say um, is anybody with diabetes, you have to ask them, have you ever had a history of low blood sugar mm -hmm. where your um, blood sugar gets very low and you have symptoms related to that? Um, and make sure that you have them on the proper agents to try to offset chances of hypoglycemia because as they get more demented, they're not aware that their blood sugar being As low. we age and we've had diabetes for a while, our body loses that early mm -hmm. warning system. And so some people with diabetes will tell you, oh, I woke up in the night, my heart was, you know, kind mm -hmm. of beating fast, I was in a sweat, I had this sense of impending doom, and I got up and I checked my blood sugar, and and it was low. And uh, so I had to get up and I had to, you know, have some orange juice or I had to eat, you know, some peanut butter and crackers to get my blood sugar to go back up. As we age, we lose that early warning symptom those early warning symptoms and we don't realize our blood sugar is going low and it can mm -hmm. put us at immediate risk. So if you're, you know, uh, dusting and you got your arms up over your head, you're changing a light bulb, you're up on a step mm -hmm. stool to try to reach something off, off a top shelf and your blood sugar drops, you are at immediate risk for fall and for injury. And what we're trying to do is trying to delay that diabetes from causing damage to your eyes and your kidneys. But if we have you with low blood sugar and you fall and you injure yourself right now, the, we didn't do you any favors trying to stave off something that's going to happen in 5, mm -hmm. 10, 20 years by putting you at risk and giving you a fracture right now. General rule of thumb, your blood sugar should not be within 10 of your age. Mm -hmm. So if your age is 60, certainly you can tolerate a blood sugar down to 70. But if you're 80 years old and we drop your blood sugar less than 90 or down to even 100, you may not realize it. You won't get those symptoms mm -mm. and you could fall. Yeah, and it's really important to be looking at those medications. So several, several different societies have recommended that for an individual who has diabetes and has blood sugar, if they're aging, that we need to let them have a higher blood sugar. Yes. Yeah, and even the hemoglobin A1C should be more elevated than a younger person. So they get a little bit more liberal diet. Yes. We don't control them quite as tightly. We let them have a little bit more sugar in their system. Antithrombotic medication, which are medications that are using used uh, if you have ever had a blood clot. Um, it could be used for people that have had strokes, they have atrial fibrillation, um, they have peripheral vascular disease. All these medications can be used to thin out the blood. Um, we have to look at, is, it, is the risk outweigh the benefit? for these medications because if you were to fall with these medications, they may cause severe harm. Um, they may actually, you know, cause you to pass. So we have to look at what's their diet, what's their intake like, look at the whole patient, um, know what their functional status is before we prescribe these medications. For me, as a palliative physician, these medications drive me insane because a lot of times they're started at a hospital setting mm -hmm. and no one assesses their functional status at home. And so what we need with that collaborative relationship with that patient and the family or the decision maker, if the patient's not able to decide for themselves, is we need to know, is this risk worth this benefit? Mm -hmm. Because um, if you've got a frail, demented, elderly patient or a patient that's at the end of life, the, the hard, cold question I ask them is, would you rather receive a call that your loved one died from a natural process like a clot or a stroke or a heart attack, or would you rather receive the call that your loved one has had an intracranial bleed mm -hmm. and, and died from that? 
Yeah. So one is one is natural and one is iatrogenic. And 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 that's the risks. Some of these medications cannot be reversed. Right. You don't have to monitor them. That's a good thing. No finger stick, but we can't monitor it. We don't know where you're at. So in summary, the approach to deprescribing is to uh, to do an extensive medication review, which is going to take time. Um, and also review the patient's goals of care mm -hmm. um, to make sure you know where your patient would like to be and what they would like to achieve on a daily basis. Address the factors of harm mm -hmm. uh, with the good. Look at what their age, their frailty, their metabolism, other organ systems that might be involved in the, the distribution of those medications, the metabolism of those mm -hmm. medications. We want to make sure we not only engage the patient, but we're engaging the caregivers, families in the discussion. Sometimes as physicians, we need to speak to other physicians just to make sure that they're on the same page as us. We, we involve the whole medical team. We want to identify and decide together what medications should be reduced. And just like with the list, when I ask patients to bring in a list of their meds, and I ask them to bring in a list of questions, when we go through their meds, I'll tell them, I see two on here I don't feel compelled for you mm -hmm. to continue to take. Do you see any on here that you're willing to give up? And if those are the same medications, it's a win. It's a win-win. Yeah. Right. And we always want to deprescribe in a stepwise approach. Do it slowly, tapering slowly, reduce one medication by 50%, and, you know, do it in a two to four week thing. Now, there are some medications you can just stop. Because they're already on a low the, dose. They're already on a low dose. Um, but just make sure that you are discussing with your medical team. There are several barriers to deprescribing. Um, unfortunately, we are still living in this paternalistic uh, society. Um, as Dr. Bone and I discussed earlier, um, it was always a clinician-centered approach. So a lot of seniors are more, are, are more respectful of the, medic, uh, the medical team, and they feel, feel like this white coat means superiority. <laughs> so um, we, have to, we have to really um, demystify that. Mm -hmm. We want patients to have that power mm -hmm. to be able to communicate with us openly and honestly. And we need to be able to tell them, because we're supposed to be your, your expert medical guide. Right. We're not the ones that are going to tell you this is what you need to do. We want to tell you about the medication or about the risks, about the benefits, mm -hmm. about the side effects. And then you have to tell us if it's worth it to you. Right. Starting new medications for families and patients is, is, is viewed as doing something, right? A lot of times people have this view of, oh, I'm going to the physician's office. What are they going to give me? I need a pill for that. I need a pill for that. I need it to be helpful. I want it to be positive. It, that's what it's viewed as. So we have to really um, de debunk that, that theory and start discussing what, what is going to be positive for you, your person, to live the best life. The newer generation doesn't seem to have that respect for us. and yes. and. <laughs> And they, they have do. A more respect for Google. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they check a lot with Dr. Google about what Dr. Google says about things. And that's good and that's bad as long as you will let me have some input, you know, exactly. and you, I want you to guide your care, but I can't have you dictate everything to me because sometimes there are things that Dr. Google didn't tell you that maybe mm -hmm. I know about. Yeah, and a major barrier is uh, fear, fear-induced, um, as well as a lack of education, like Dr. Bone saying with the Google. I mean, they may talk to somebody at a hair salon. I mean, it's amazing what patients come to us with yeah. and where they look this information up and where they feel that it's valid. Right. Finally, our parting thoughts with you are about deprescribing medications can decrease the risk of the burden. Mm -hmm. Decrease your cost. Yes. Um, it helps uh, decrease the risk of falls and cognitive impairment. 
Um, it also creates a better compliance because we are creating a collaborative relationship. And if you know why you're taking this medication, the importance of it, you might actually take it. Right. Patients also at the end of life have a unique opportunity for deprescribing, mm -hmm. and there's also challenges related to that. So it's really important as a healthcare provider to be looking at the whole patient, asking the, the deep questions to try to figure out the functional, the cognitive, the nutritional status of your patient. So we're able to determine, are they nearing the end of life? And do we need to not only have a deprescribing conversation, but also a goals of care conversation? So yes, as you can tell, both Dr. Tartaglia and I do a lot of talking, but we also try to do a lot of listening to hear what the patient has to say. And so I, I appreciate the time you've given us today to listen to us. And if you've got something you want us to hear, please drop it in a comment below or send us an email. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name, You Only Die Once. If you have any specific questions you would like us to address, please feel free to send us an email at youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. That's youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon.